And uh, I've enjoyed the study through Galatians. It's been very enriching uh, and encouraging as we've studied this book. Uh, a book that categorically uh, has dealt with uh, those who are seeking to impose works to salvation. And thus making salvation a, uh, a product of your efforts and how good you are or how much you have followed through with Jewish tradition. And the Apostle Paul is fighting that with all his might because salvation is not gained uh, by any merit of your good works or any merit of following a uh, traditional ritual. It is only gained through the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, on Sunday morning, I'm praying about it and I've started my studies on it, on what is a Christian. And uh, we'll look at that on Sunday morning. We'll continue our study. What we were doing on Sunday mornings, I'll bring that to Sunday night and uh, for a little while. And, uh, but anyways, on marriage and those sorts of things. But it is a, a, a fascinating, it is a very, very important study. And the Apostle Paul is adamant that these Judaizers who are seeking to impose on young believers who are not, they do not know the scriptures, they do not know uh, the truths of the Bible, and so they're very susceptible to following traditions which are not of God, or they're not of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're going to read verses 11 through 18 of Galatians chapter 6 this evening. Would you follow along with me? If you have your Bible, there is one there in the pew. You're welcome to borrow it. Uh, Galatians chapter 6, verses 11 uh, through 18. You see how large a letter I have written unto you with mine own hand. As many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised, only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised that they may glory in your flesh. But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. I'll explain these things, but never that idea there, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision availeth. It doesn't profit you. There's no gain in being circumcised or uncircumcised. It is not a benefit or, uh, towards getting closer to God. Uh, whether you go through this uh, physical uh, procedure. Verse 16, as many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them and mercy and upon the Israel of God. From henceforth, let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Let's pray, and then we'll dive into the study this evening. Our dear heavenly and gracious Father, Lord, I thank you for this evening. Our Father, I thank you for the wonderful word that you've preserved and you've given to us. And Father, I thank you for the safety you gave to the ladies. And uh, God, it is a privilege to be your child. Lord, I love you. And I need your help tonight. Calm the mind. And may your word go mightily forth. And Lord, would you help our hearts on this midweek service to be encouraged and challenged. Lord, to be ever more fervent for our love for Jesus Christ. Lord, may we have a greater hatred for those things that would detract or pull away from the true gospel. And Lord, may we just love Jesus. I thank you for being our precious Savior in Jesus' most holy and precious name I pray. Amen. As we start this final conclusion here, in verse 11, as Paul is drawing it to a close, he says, you look at how large a letter I've written to you with my own hand. 
and uh, he summarizes really five steps. He sees the positively, emphasizes the truth of the Galatians. He says, listen, I've written a large letter to you. He did it with his own hand. But he wants to give a positive personal emphasis in his closing remarks. And he wants them, he says, listen, I've written you a large letter. I've lit, written about a lot of things. Now, when they call these like the epistle of Paul, the apostles, to the Ephesians, that word epistle just means a letter, okay? And, uh, but in this, the, the, the epistle of Paul, the apostle, to the Galatians, the church of Galatia. It is a real church at a real time. And uh, he says, you know, I've, and, and as he's writing here in verse 11, a large letter I've written to you with my own hand, he makes an emphasis. He says, I personally wrote it. Now, <clears throat> at this point in Paul's life, Paul is already suffering a lot of physical problems. He's under great pain because Paul has suffered many things as we're going to look at. His body has been beaten up. He's suffered all sorts of things, shipwreck and cold and all, many various trials that he's gone through. His body hurts. I think we can sometimes, all of us at times, can uh, associate or kind of uh, empathize with our body hurting. And uh, how do we deal with this? But anyways, he said, I wrote it with my own hand. I said, it doesn't matter the chains, it doesn't matter the struggles and trials I'm going through. I wrote it to you because of my heart towards you. I love you and I want you to know these truths. And it's of impo extreme importance, utmost importance, to the church of Galatia. And uh, really this epistle is our Magna Carta or our declaration of independence from the shackles of the law. It is there in this wonderful book of Galatians that the Apostle Paul, he says the law was our schoolmaster. What does the law do? The law, the only purpose of the law and the only purpose that we find in the law today is to say, hey, you broke the law, here's consequences. Now I understand there's not always in the law where they always abide by the law, but I know that there are some that do not. Nevertheless, in the scriptures and according to God's law that God has things that he sent out for us. He says, I, I want you to do these and, uh, and if you want to get to heaven, then you've got to be perfect. Well, what happens is none of us are perfect. We all get angry. We all get frustrated and there's certain things that happen in our life. And all those things do is it, it, it makes me feel guilty. That guiltiness is because I have broken the law and as my conscience is uh, convicted, I come under the shame of having broken God's law. That broking, breaking of God's law and the shame associated with it is to bring me to Christ. That's what the law's purpose is. The law only says, listen, you're a sinner. You're not perfect. You need Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. We all need Jesus. So that's what the law. But I mean, this is our liberty that none of us can be good enough to get to God. None of us have to go through some secret ritual that God would be happy with us. There is no secret ritual. There is no mystery. And uh, on this very topic, in fact, the Apostle Paul would withstand Peter, who was greatly loved, uh, highly honored, and widely respected, is the Apostle Peter. And, and, and Paul would withstand him to the face. He'd say, Peter, you're a hypocrite. When, when you're with the Gentile people that are non-Jewish, you're going to hang out with them. But all of a sudden, when these Judaizers and these people who were like, oh, we follow all of Moses' law and traditions and so on and so forth, he says, you side with them only to exclude the same brethren whom you were just associating. You're showing a bias towards the, towards the Jews and not the Gentiles. Peter, this ought not to be. And he withstands him to the face. This is ungodly. 
And he fought for this truth in Jerusalem. The Apostle Paul didn't care. Truth is truth. And if it is going to be violated and it's going to be against God's word, the Apostle Paul is going to fight against it. It ought to be in our same lives. When there is, a, when there is doctrinal deviancy from the scriptures, our desire is, I want to stand with God. I don't want to stand with the crowds. I want to stand with Jesus Christ and the word of God that is eternal. So he does so in all of this encouragement as he brings this near an end, but he does this with the idea of mine own hand. Paul is passionate. Please, please, please don't add the law to the salvation because the moment you add the law to salvation, it's no longer uh, pure gospel. It's no longer a gospel that is uh, undiluted. It has now been watered down. It has now been changed because it's not Jesus only and Jesus on the cross who paid for all my sins. It's Jesus and you doing this stuff. That's no longer a gift. And so he's passionate. And Paul goes on from here in verse 12. He says, as many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh... They constrain you to be circumcised, only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. The word constrain there would be like the idea of having, uh, the idea is uh, of a vice. And as you turn that vice, it gets tighter if you have an object inside the vice. And so you turn it and turn it and turn it and turn it until it begins to put large pressure. Well, in the same likely fashion, what would be used to get these Galatian believers and young believers to change their mind and begin to compromise and go with this uh, heresy of Jew Jewish uh, rituals added to salvation. It's Jesus and uh, being circumcised. Jesus and following Passover and the tabernacles, and the Feast of Booths, and, 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 and so on and so forth. Well, I want you to understand that if I have to, if there's something that I can do to lose my salvation, that is not a hope. That is bondage. Because it's either a gift or it's not. But nevertheless, this idea of constraining you to be circumcised, they put unbelievable pressure. Means of threats, Entreaty, force, or even persuasion. And Paul knows all about it. In his unconverted days, the Apostle Paul would do this to the local churches with whom he would do high-pressure, high-handed tactics to carry away husbands and wives and moms and dads and kids, and he would get, take them away to be murdered because they were Christians, they were believers. And Paul, as a Pharisee, hated anyone that named the name of Jesus. Hated them. He was guilty of murdering many people, all in the name of doing service to God. In fact, he would even tell King Agrippa, many of the saints that I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. And, that this is, and I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled, that word compelled there is the idea of constrain them to blaspheme. Acts 26, 10 and 11 tells us about this. And the very idea is, he says, I compelled them, I constrained them, I put such pressure on them to get them to capitulate or give them to give in. Say, I give up. Okay, fine, I'll follow the Pharisees' rule. I'll no longer, I reject Jesus. And that was the goal. So here in this idea, the verb is in the present continuous tense here, and they constrain you, these Jewish people, these Judaizers, what I mean, I mean, there's a difference between Jewish, that's your cultural heritage, and Judaizers. Judaizers are those that are demanding you be circumcised and you conform to 
Jewish traditional Mosaic laws. Mosaic laws, again, of don't eat uh, pork, uh, don't eat, uh, you know, like if uh, you can't have cheese and beef, like you can't have cheese and beef, you can't cook a, a you know, <laughs> a baby in its own mother's milk, like, and they would think if you're cooking beef and milk, uh, then you're kind of cooking it together. There's a lot, there are various other things that they would have in their laws that they would not want people to partake of. And they said, if you're a real Christian, you won't do this. They've, they have not realized that when Jesus died on that cross, he completed the law. We're no, as Gentiles, we're no longer under that, nor are the Jewish people. And so Paul sees through their motives, and he says, as many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh. You know what they want to do? They want to impress other people that we have taken these young believers and we've now convinced them to follow our false theology and uh, so now we have a whole bunch of converts to our false theology. It's a legal, you know, really a legalistic insistence. It would be like for some, some churches might require women to wear a head covering when they come to church. That is not biblical. And the Bible is very clear on that. Women, her hair is her covering. She doesn't need to have a, a little doily or whatever on her head. That just doesn't go on. And uh, there might be some, you know, men can't, m- men must wear beards. Men must not wear beards. And there's various things that can happen that some churches will impose. Well, that, does not, that doesn't make you a Christian whether you wear a beard or you don't. I'm not very good if they do require a beard because I don't grow it very well. But nevertheless. And the list can go on and on on this acceptance of what it is. And they just keep imposing, 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 imposing. And they really want to impress those who are pushing this false doctrine. The word doctrine is teachings. And this is dangerous because what they're trying to do, again, is get like some badge that they've had enough people that have followed them, and I, wow, I, this must be right. All these people are following me. There's some people that they're seeking to please, and so they put these pressure on these young believers. And look at this in the end of verse 12. Only lest they should, uh, excuse me, they constrain you to be circumcised, only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. And they design, and it also says, desire to make a fair show in the flesh. They begin to put a degree of great unpleasantness. Oh, you're one of those simple Christians. Let me show you what the Bible really says. You must trust Jesus and you must do Jewish law. They make a show in the flesh. They constrain you. I mean, they, they will use peer pressure. They will use tactics of you're not very smart. There are all sorts of various tactics that will proceed from them and the idea that this is, you know, this is really what you ought to be. They're manhandling the people to follow a theology and teaching that is not of the Lord. Paul knew that the antagonism really here is deeper. The real issue in all of this is the cross of Christ. Look with me at Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. 
Apostle Paul, under inspiration of the Spirit of God, he says in verse 16 of chapter 1 of Romans, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now, he talks about belief here, but he does not talk anything about you must do A, B, C, D, you must do this checklist. Believe Jesus and the checklist. He doesn't say that. Believeth. There is no gospel apart from the cross of Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17, would you turn with me there? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, going from Romans over to 1 Corinthians. Look at verse 17 and 18. The Apostle Paul tells us, he says, by the inspiration of God, he says, for Christ sent me not to baptize. Now that right there completely excludes any infant baptism, excludes any baptism from making you a Christian. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. The Apostle Paul says, even if I'm the greatest orator and I can convince you of the truth because of my great oratorical abilities or how well I speak, he said it's of no effect. If it's just me speaking to you and convincing you on a philosophical argument, it's not of any effect. Because he says here, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. It's the gospel that gives us the power of God. It's not the wisdom of man's wise words. It's not some man that can get up there and awe you with how well he speaks and how well he presents these facts and other things. It's not that. The preaching of the cross to the world is foolishness. How is it that the words that come out of, you can take the Bible, a man or a woman can read the Bible, and their life can be so radically transformed, it is the power of God that transforms a person. It is not of any ability of my speech. I only repeat what God says to someone searching for salvation. The power of the gospel transforms. It's like many times, as people have, I've heard before, metamorphosis. As a butterfly goes from a caterpillar, it goes in that little cocoon, and then it comes out a beautiful butterfly. Beautiful. Totally different. A caterpillar and a butterfly. One has wings and flying, and the other one's like a little, in, you know, it's kind of crawling along and eating, eating leaves. Totally different. We're transformed. We're a new creature in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us this. But to the Judaizers, Jesus Christ is a stumbling block. It's in fact a scandal. Verse 23 of 1 Corinthians. But we preach Christ crucified. Unto the Jews, a stumbling block. Unto the Greeks, foolishness. A stumbling block is a scandal. How, how dare you? You're slandering us Jewish people, and we are the seed of Abraham. We are the chosen ones. And so you're going against the very pride of their cultural tradition. We are God's chosen people. God says, I don't care, I want your heart. It doesn't matter what culture you come from. You don't have a leg up on anyone else closer to Christ because of the culture you're from. Now, God had greatly blessed, and the Jewish people were to be God's lighthouses to the world, and they failed in that. 
And the Judaizers wanted was to get away from the offense of the cross. We, you know what? I understand a man dying on the cross. We understand that whole bloody thing. You know what? People just really don't want to hear about the blood anymore. It's not popular. It's not appealing. It doesn't bring the crowds. So let's get away from it. Let's just say, hey, you're a Jewish person or you want to be a Jewish? Hey, be like us. All you got to do is go through these steps. Step one, two, three through, five, you know, 613. Follow all the laws. You don't want to know what trying to follow the laws does? Man, on a daily basis, your mind is racked with, I hope I did enough. I hope I didn't mess up. I hope I didn't say a word wrong. You're, I mean, there's no hope. It's bondage. Religion is bondage. When you're like, I could lose my salvation because maybe I haven't done enough. If, it's be, if your salvation's resting on you being a good enough person, my friend, you're never going to have peace because it's never going to be enough. But if it's resting on what Jesus did, it's settled. And it was the cross that raised the Jewish enemies of Christianity to such a passion of ill will against the Christian community that outright persecution came. And Paul had once thought so himself of the persecution. There's a lot of particular groups with their own axe to grind. If they're allowed to remain with a the group, they given the cold shoulder, if you're different or excommunicated on this very thing, that means of displaying its dis disapproval of those who may refuse to conform. But Paul takes advantage. Coming back to Galatians as he comes to verse 13, for neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law. He's saying the Jewish people who are telling you this, they don't even follow it. But hey, if you follow it, and that's like another star on the board for me. I got another ticket closer to heaven because I got someone to follow a thing I'm not even following. That's hypocrisy. Really apostate. For someone to follow these various things of verse 13 of going through the circumcision and all it is is you're not actually even saved. That, the appeal to the cross, this is nothing less than Satan trying to corrupt the gospel from the very early first century. Jewish, Judaism, I would say even Catholicism, all religions other than true biblical Christianity are you must do enough so that some divine deity is pleased with you and hopefully you've done enough. I have to say, before God's courtroom, we're all, all short. Nobody can make it work. Look with me at the book of Philippians chapter 3. You know what the wonderful thing is, my friend, as you think on these truths? That Jesus is enough. I can settle I can just rest complete in the hope that I know Jesus is my Savior. I can rest complete that if I breathe my last breath, whenever that may be, I'm going to be in eternity with God. I can rest content that I have a relationship with the Almighty God, and it's not based on me being good enough. Now, as a Christian, I can lose fellowship. I don't lose salvation, but I lose fellowship when there's sin in my life. That's a different story, much like our daughter uh, you know, whether we have harmony or if she's mad at me, there's, if there, there's that disagreement that makes friction in the relationship. But it doesn't change the fact that I'm still her dad. I love my daughter dearly. 
Philippians chapter 3, verse 2, Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision, for we are the circumcision, which worship God in the Spirit, and rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. You know what? I don't have any confidence in my flesh that I'm going to have enough to get to, to God. And though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. The Apostle Paul gives us, he says, if anyone's going to trust that they're good enough to get to God, he says, I, I have a great pedigree. I mean, the Apostle Paul was incredibly brilliant, but he also had, I mean, he was a Jew of a Jew. You want to talk about the perfect Jew, the Apostle Paul would be that from a, a human standpoint. He says, if I'm going to trust in my flesh, I'm going to trust that I have done enough, that I'm a Jew. Look, let's look at here, verse eight, 5. He says, I was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin. That's exactly what God told uh, Moses to do with his son. Circumcised him on the eighth day, told Abraham. He also said in Hebrew of the Hebrews. I mean, you talk about someone who's Hebrew. I have a pure lineage of being a Jew. That's touching the law of Pharisee. I mean, if there's anyone that's going to follow the law, it's going to be a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, I per persecuting the church. He says, listen. I, uh, the church in Jerusalem, man, I, dec I, I decimated them. I killed lots of them, all in the name of Jesus, because I thought I was doing God a favor. Touching the righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. I mean, you think about the law. The apostle Paul followed the law to the T. He, he tried. But what things were gained to me, though those I counted lost for Christ, Doubtless, and I count all things, but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them dung that I may win Christ. That dung there is what you, there like a, like a dog going to the bathroom, number two, right? Leaving a big old pile. Dung. And the Apostle Paul had, you know, in his unconverted days, he tried to make it work to be good enough, and yet it still wasn't huge group of hypocrites. In Galatians chapter uh, uh, 6 verse 13 coming back here <clears throat> desire to have you circumcised that they may glory in your, your flesh. The indictment is again these Judaizers wanted to boast. You want, you want someone to be a statistic on your board of how many people you got to follow your distorted perverted ways. So the Apostle Paul, he comes out in, in transparency, the transparent motive in verse 14. But God forbid that I should glory. Paul says, I don't care what I've done in the past. I don't care how smart I am. I don't care how well, I, what kind of Jew I am. I don't care that I followed the law. It doesn't matter. God forbid that I should glory. He says, it doesn't, there's nothing in Paul that is good. There's nothing in Chris that is good, that I have, that I can say, oh God, you're so blessed by me. There's nothing. I have nothing to glory in. He says, save or accept in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. The Apostle Paul, I mean, his unimpeachable behavior, he's blameless. I mean, he loves the Lord. He is sold out. He says, if you're going to glory in anything, glory in that cross. What Jesus did. No Roman would want a glory in a cross. Why would you want a glory in something if you were to think about it much bigger, bigger than that? But why would I want a glory in something that's an object of shame? The cross to a Roman is a, 
is an object of inexplicable shame. The worst of tortures. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rejoice. I'm going to glory. I'm going to be so thankful and appreciative of the cross. It would be like you and I boast, we don't have the death penalty here, but it would be like boasting in the gallows or an electric chair. Woohoo! the electric chair. People look at you, what? <laughs> I don't know if you, any of you, they used to have the electric chair, and now they have lethal injections down in the states, on some of the states. But it would be like, woohoo! lethal injections, yay! You're a nut. But yet, Paul says we can glory in the instrument of death upon which our Savior died. You know what? You can't glory in a cross. Really, unless we've understood that cross from the standpoint of eternity. The cross was God's answer to sin. The Lord Jesus Christ is described as a lamb slain from the foundation of the world, Revelation 13, 8. The great theme is the blessing and the glory of the cross, save, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Man, I can rejoice all day long in that sacrifice. Revelation 5, 9 talks about, Thou art worthy, for thou wast slain, and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood. And Paul says that all of wisdom, all the wisdom of God, all the power of God are centered in the cross. Look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23. You know what, sometimes people might say, you're a Christian, you're a little bit different. Praise the Lord. My eternity is sealed. I know where I'm going when I breathe my last breath. I have a hope. I, I don't need to worry at night. I don't need to worry as I go throughout my life what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't need to happen when, when bad circumstances, when things are going forth. And I'm honoring and I'm serving the Lord and I'm doing what I can to, to please my Savior. And I've said, God, I'm just going to give you my life. I want to honor you and I want to do all I can to please you. You know what? I don't need to worry about life. I just have to trust that God knows what he's doing and I'll just follow him each step of the way as he leads. Through his word and the spirit of God leads and guides. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23, But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews, a stumbling block unto the Greeks, foolishness. But unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks, excuse me, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. The cross is a very practical application. It is the watershed, the great divide, that separates a carnal believer from a spiritual believer. A proper vision of the cross will end compromise with a wicked world. Because I am saying, I am for Jesus. Now I know oftentimes that the cross has been, in some instances, I don't understand why they do, well, I understand why they do this, they're pagan, but in the Catholic Church, they still have Jesus on the cross. The cross, as you always see a crucifix with a man still on the cross. Jesus isn't still on the cross. Man, he's up in heaven interceding on our behalf. He doesn't need to stay on that cross. The figure of Jesus on that cross, man, that's a wrong picture. If you want to symbolize anything, have a tomb. The tomb, the empty tomb. That's where our victory lies, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If there was no resurrection, then there is no salvation. Because if there is no resurrection, there's no forgiveness of sins. Because the, the resurrection is your defeating sin, death, and the curse in the Garden of Eden. 1 Corinthians 15 makes it very clear. If, if Jesus doesn't rise again, the, all, the entirety of Christianity falls apart if the resurrection is false. False. 
the cross, you know, the cross is where the Lamb of God was slain to where he could go to the place of death so he could defeat it. It was his entry into the very stages. Well, not the stages, but an entry into the very place of death. He suffered the curse as Adam had ate that fruit and Eve did. Suffered the curse. But three days later, he came back. And we're no longer under that curse anymore for those who accepted Christ. You know, the world had never known a man like Jesus. Absolutely good, unfailingly gracious, loving. And what was the world's answer to Jesus? Why would the world take such a good a man doing such good works and throw him on the cross? I mean, Jesus, he went about doing tons of things and they put him on a cross. He talked about Christ. He talked about God. Talked, I came to do the Father's will. I mean, over and over in the things that Jesus did. They put him to death because Jesus upset Jewish tradition. Many times people will mask and pretend friendship for Christians. And oftentimes they will be friends with Christians for pleasure, for money, for methods, for applause. And the Christian's answer is the cross. As Margaret Morrow put in her poem, The Young Christian, Nay, world, I turn away. Though thou seem fair and good, that friendly outstretched hand of thine is stained with Jesus' blood. Paul lived with an eye on Calvary, you think about. I'm telling you, this is exciting, friend. Save, accept, in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me. You know what, the world, I understand there's a lot of lures, there's a lot of distractions, there's a lot of enticements, there's a lot of things that can get my mind and focus on this world. Paul says, you know what, those are all crucified, those are all dead to me. I just want to know Jesus. That cross tells us about the underlying hatred towards the very plan that God had to rescue you and I from eternity without him. In verse 15, for in, Jesus, for in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. Circumcision or uncircumcision isn't going to avail you. It's not going to help you or advance you in any way. The Abrahamic covenant was for the Jew... When a righteous dude died, he was envisioned as being in Abraham's bosom. The Christian believer, we have the new covenant, Matthew chapter 26. Jesus would say, look with me in Matthew 26. Matthew chapter 26, verse 27. <clears throat> this is when Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples and uh, the last Passover feast that he'll have with his disciples, verse 26, verse 27, excuse me. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament. That's a new covenant, a new promise. We also find... <clears throat> which is shed for many for the remission of sins, in Hebrews 12, 24, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. And to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh rather, uh, speaketh better things than that of Abel. 
You know, we, we're not under an old covenant. We're not under the old sacrificial system where year by year by year and year and we have to sacrifice an animal every year because Jesus was that perfect sacrifice who came in human flesh. In order for us to be forgiven, you had to have a Christian, excuse me, Christian, you had to have a human who was absolutely perfect, that human life for my guilty life. It would be in the courtroom as I'm standing there with all these charges, that I'm standing before the judge. The judge says, how do you plead? I said, judge, I have, no other, I have nothing else but to plead guilty. He says, you're guilty. And then Jesus, someone in the courtroom, stands up and says, judge, he's guilty, but I'm innocent. I'm sitting out in the court. I'm sitting out in the, you know, I don't remember what they call that space in the back where people are sitting. But anyways, I'm, standing, I'm sitting in this space. I'm not under the court's uh, order. I'm not under the court's judgment. I'm innocent. I'm sitting in the stands. Judge, I'd like to pay and do all of Chris's time. Here's an innocent life for a guilty life. Who Jesus was absolutely perfect, not like just someone sitting in, in that session, that place there. I can't remember. There is a name for it. I'm, I don't know, I'm drawing a blank on it. In Christ, circumcision is wholly irrelevant. irrelevant excuse me. And Paul has argued his point. Coming to verse 16. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them and mercy and upon the Israel of God. He comes, you know, kind of a, here's the result. Peace on you and mercy. And upon the Israel of God. Paul's summary statement with his own hands. You know what? In Christ, you and I are a new creature. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. The truth of the fact is when I accept Christ, and, and I'll be talking about this on Sunday, it's exciting, and uh, the Lord's been putting on my heart this question, answering it from biblical, and Acts eleven twenty six talks about, and they were first called Christians in Antioch. But the fact here is a new creature. What does it mean, a new creature? As I said, you go from like a caterpillar to a butterfly, a complete metamorphosis, completely different. When you accept Jesus Christ, there's a time, John chapter 3, you're born again. There's a time in your life where you personally accepted God, and you're physically born to a mother. Her water breaks, and, you, and the child is born. You're spiritually reborn again. Spiritually, you're, there's a day that you accepted Christ as your personal Savior, and you're born. John chapter 3, Jesus spoke to Nicodemus, a Pharisee, about this very truth. And all of us are seeking to cultivate in, in our walk with God, our daily walk with God, this mercy and peace. You know, walk according to this rule. Peace be on them. I want God's peace. I want God's mercy. I need God's mercy. But the truth is that, you know what, as we take a stand for the Lord, persecution's going to come. And I need God's grace to help me when persecution comes. You're going to have friends leave you. I remember I was a Christian, but I was backslidden and living my own way for a little while and then I had some friends I said no longer am I drinking and no longer am I going to go to the bars with you and you know what when I told them that they didn't tend to contact me anymore they didn't want to hang out anymore they went away they left me I didn't change I mean God had God had, God was changing me I was saved I was saved even before but as we come upon this very thing. You know, the Apostle Paul says, For I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. 
he had these marks where he'd said, listen, I don't care what you do to my body. I will not deny Jesus. You know what we're pilgrims and strangers, as Hebrews talks about? We're just passing through this life. You know, if someone comes up to you and they said, deny Jesus or we'll kill you, I'm like, praise the Lord, you're sending me home. Now, the whole pain part, I don't quite like that part. I'm not really asking for that part. But Paul, when he says upon the Israel of God, it's different than the flesh. He's not talking about Israel after the flesh. He's talking about the Israel of God. When you're in Israel of God, you've asked Jesus Christ as your Savior and you're part of the promises. And we enter into the spiritual heritage of Abraham, as Romans talks about. The word Jew is actually common in the New Testament. They designated the country in which they lived and their nationality. John chapter 4, verse 9. Talking about the Jews, the Samaritan woman would tell, said, Jesus, you're a Jew. Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. There's a Jew's religion. That's a Jew after the flesh. They put Jesus as the king of the Jews, as Pilate would say. The name Israel here points to their calling. John 147, behold an Israelite in whom is no guile, in whom is no deceit. When Jesus met Nathanael, he says this about him. God referred to himself as the Holy One of Israel. Israel was God's light to the world. Just because someone was naturally born of Abraham in lineage, and you can trace back to my great, 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 50 times grandfather Abraham, it doesn't mean that you are of God. But it's a personal experience with God. All, every one of us have to have a personal experience where we've asked Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and be our Savior. Romans eleven twenty six. Would you turn with me here? I'm almost done here. I don't have enough for next week, so just a few more minutes on this. Romans eleven twenty six. And so all, Romans eleven twenty six. in the millennial age, the millennium, if you're not familiar with the way eschatology, eschatology is the study of end times, the way we're currently in, what would be kind of like age of grace or church age, and then after that, you come to a seven-year period of tribulation, Christians will be in heaven during the seven-year period of tribulation, following, at the end of the seven-year tribulation, battle of Armageddon, uh, Jesus fights with the Antichrist, the Antichrist and uh, Satan, Antichrist is thrown into hell, uh, the, the Satan is bound for a thousand years, after that seven years, Jesus will rule and reign on earth without any satanic influence for a thousand years, and yet man's wicked heart will still lead him away from God. This is this millennium, re- millennial reign that Jesus is ta- speaking about, but in Romans eleven twenty six. And so all Israel shall be saved, as is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. But all Israel will be saved. Just because they're Jewish doesn't mean they're automatically a child of God. They've got to put their faith in the Messiah. You realize today that Jesus is, in fact, over in Israel today, if you try to speak to people or convert them to biblical Christianity, you will either be tortured, persecuted, or kicked out of the country. 
There's Israel after the flesh, and then there's Israel of God, because it's of the heart. Realize in Galatians 3.28, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither bond nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. If you're a child of God, we're all part of the family of God. So it doesn't really matter whether you're Jew. It doesn't matter whether you're Gentile. If you accept Jesus, you're part of that family. If you've never belonged really to a family, I want to tell you, you have a perfect family. In heaven one day. Right now? Eh, I think we're all working on it. We're all working to get closer to Jesus. In the last argument from himself, the Apostle Paul puts it. The marks here is the tattoo or slaves, the, the bonds, the burns, the, all the things that he had suffered in his fight for Christ. And Paul had on his body many marks. You know, sometimes when we're younger and we do some foolish things, break bones, scars, other such things, you're like, hey, look at this scar, I did this here, and, and this this. You know, this mark on my body, this was because this, is, oh, I, I, didn't, I shouldn't have done that, you know. You have marks all over your body because of things you've done in your life. I shouldn't, you know. Paul says, listen, I've, the marks that I have in my body, I did because of Jesus because people got mad at me. But he says, let no man trouble me. Paul is done with these nagging Judaizers. He says, listen, I'm for real. I have bore the pain for my savior i don't care what you judaizers how well you can speak or how well you can try to get people to follow your pernicious ways this is not true it's time for you to sit down and listen to truth and finally in verse 18 brethren the grace of our lord jesus christ be with your spirit amen paul's message is done God's grace is greater than all our sin. Grace guarantees you a home in heaven. Grace is sufficient for every circumstance of life. It is the inexhaustible love of God. He says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. All that the Judaizers had to offer was some kind of ministry to the flesh. Religion speaks to the flesh, but religion can't touch the soul. Religion can't touch the spirit. Only the gospel of Christ can. And you change the gospel, it can't touch the soul. Because if you're dead, religion only keeps you dead. But the power of the gospel brings you to life. There's no more to be said. And so he says, Amen. Paul is done. Galatians is done. Oh, my friend, this is exciting. As I come to the conclusion this evening, if you're trying to get to God by being good enough, stop. You can't do it. If you're trying to be, you know, kind enough and do all these things, God, please accept me. I hope I've done enough. I hope I've been a good enough person. You're going to try your entire life only to find out you're still not accepted. But if you'll receive the gift of the innocent life of Christ for my guilty life, if a judge says, Chris, you've committed these crimes, I'm sentencing you to 150 years in prison. That's a death sentence. I, I would die in prison. And someone in that courtroom says, Judge, 
I'd like for Chris to go free. I'm innocent. I haven't done anything wrong, but I'd like to, I'd like to pay Chris's penalty. In an even greater fashion, I'm penalized by God because of my own sin, my own choice to sin against God for eternity. And Jesus says, listen, I'll pay that price so Chris doesn't have to go there. I'll pay your price so you don't have to go there. Stop trying. Here's the gift. Will you, will you accept that offer? The judge looks at me and said, would you accept that offer of someone doing 150 years for your time? I'm like, absolutely. But I'd be humbled that why would someone want to serve a life sentence in my place? But Jesus rose again from the dead, and we have victory. It gives us victory in a relationship with God now. I'm born again, but also in eternity we have hope. And no one can take that hope from you. Because when that, when that door opened there in the tomb, woo! Death, hell, curse was defeated. Eternity with God in heaven. Man, that's got to get you excited. So as we come to the invitation tonight, Christian, we ought to rejoice in the gift we have in Christ. And if you don't know Jesus, oh, my friend, I'd love to show you from the Bible how you can know for sure. Would you be okay to come forward this evening, Mrs. Pat? We'll have a time of invitation with music playing. I just want to tell you, Christian, we have so much to rejoice in. Man, I want to make Jesus proud. I want to make him pleased with my life. Rejoice in what the Lord has done. As the music plays, give you just a moment to pray and talk with the Lord. As heads bowed and eyes closed. As I was preaching tonight, you'd say, Pastor, I do not know for sure if I died. I think I'm going to heaven, but I'm not sure love to show you from the Bible how you can know for sure. 1 John 5, 13 tells us these things ever written to you that you might know that you have eternal life. Oh, may you settle that tonight. Do you know Jesus personally as your own Savior? And Christian, my friend, we ought to rejoice. The gospel ought not to ever get old in what Jesus has done in your life and what he's waiting to do in many lives that will receive him as we give out the gospel. Just a moment longer as the music will come to a close. Our dear heavenly and gracious Father, Lord, I thank you for this evening. Lord, I, man, my heart is overwhelmed. Lord, I don't have to follow some traditions of man I just simply need to receive the gift, and I did that. In April 30th, 1986, bowed down and bowed my head and professed my faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. And Lord, may we rejoice. No longer a child of hell, but a child of God. Father, I don't need to follow all these rituals to keep and to try to strive for heaven. You've done it all. It cost you everything, but it's a gift to us. It's free if we'll receive it by faith. So God, may we rejoice. May we be so thankful for the goodness you've bestowed upon us. I love you. Thank you for the study of this book. In Jesus' most holy and precious name I pray. Amen. <laughs>